Amen? Amen. Well, good morning, church. Oh, come on. You better that. Good morning, church. I tell you, man, I love that song we sang a while ago. I'm going to go back to it because I don't know if you thought about this, and I I think I I get caught up in the moment that with one word, everything does change. Do you believe that? I mean, 10 times God spoke and the world was created. Think about it. 10 times. Let it be, and it was. And I'm just telling you, the reason that's so important for us today is because when we open up God's word, God does have a word for us. It's not a word from Doug. It is a word straight from his word that he's given to us. And so with his word, everything can change for us. With his word, circumstances can change. With his word, our hearts, our minds, our desires can change. And so it's so important for us to realize that we are under authority of Almighty God. And with one word from him, everything can change. If you believe that, say amen. Amen, amen. Well, we've been in this series called Rebuild, and we're really going through the book of Nehemiah somewhat, and we're kind of skipping places, but we're kind of walking through the book of Nehemiah and this idea of rebuild. Nehemiah was commissioned by God to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And what we said out of the beginning that, that the rebuilding these walls was crucial. I mean, it gave this, play, this, this group of people, the Israelites, a sense of now they have property, they have the land back, and so it gave them credibility to their neighbors. But more important in Nehemiah is not the rebuilding of the walls. It's Nehemiah rebuilding the mindset of God's people, of their identity, who they are in Christ, who they are in the relationship to God, building their sense of purpose and what they're called to do, and also their sense of mission, who they're called to be. And so when you go through the book of Nehemiah, it's not just about rebuilding brick and mortar. It's about rebuilding a mindset of identity, purpose, and mission. And I think that's so important for us as a church. I mean, we are having some historic moments that we are landing on as a church. And January 6th, we voted on a team that's going to lead us to our next level. Last week, we voted unanimously to move forward with the purchase of the property and do our due diligence. I mean, we are hitting landmark moment after landmark moment after landmark moment. And I'm so excited about that. But as we go through this... May we not let everything that's going on around us take us off of the main thing. And here's the main thing, that your identity in Christ matters, and you need to know what that is. That you have a purpose from Almighty God, and that's to be salt and to be light, and we have a mission. Jesus made it very clear, go make disciples. And no matter what we're doing as a church, may we never forget those things. And so as we go through Nehemiah, some of us need to build for the first time our sense of identity, our sense of purpose, our sense of mission. But for some of us who've done church for so long, maybe we need to go back and we need to rebuild it. We need to rebuild who we are in Christ, that you were loved, you're forgiven, you're accepted. We need to remember that. We need to go back and remember our sense of purpose, who he's called us to be, but also what he's called us to do, our mission. So as we go through this, hopefully we're rebuilding the same thing God's people were rebuilding. Now we said to rebuild this mindset begins, first of all, with realigning our heart and our mind with the heart and the mind of God. We saw that in Nehemiah chapter 1. And then as we continue to rebuild this mindset, it takes us responding to the opportunities that God puts in front of us. You remember Nehemiah, the king asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And Nehemiah could have cowered in the background going, you know what? I don't think you're going to care much about my people. I'm just going to let this king kind of pass me by. Is that what Nehemiah did? No, Nehemiah asked for the moon, didn't he? I mean, Nehemiah's like, let me go home. Nehemiah's like, hey, would you write me a letter so people won't stop me? And oh, by the way, would you give me all the lumber needed, not just to rebuild the wall, not just to rebuild the gate, but by the way, just to build my house. I got to have somewhere to live. And so Nehemiah asked for the moon. 
And it pleased the king to do those things. So we've got to respond to the opportunities God put in front of us. And then last week we said, if we're going to rebuild this mindset, we have to continue to reinforce the purpose and the mission that God has for us. There are many opposition that we will face in life. Some of that opposition will be from the enemy. It will be verbal opposition. There might be physical opposition. We even saw in the passage last week how there was internal opposition. Even the people of God that were in Israel, they were even having some struggles among themselves. And so we got to learn to deal with that, and we got to make sure that we are reinforcing the purpose and the mission that God has for us. Today, we're going to talk about if we're going to continue to rebuild this mindset, it also means that we have to refocus our lives. We need to refocus on the mission and the purpose that God has for us. Now, the reason I want to talk about refocusing is this, is because it's super easy to get distracted, isn't it? Come on. How many of you are easily distracted? Come on. Like, I'm talking to you right now, a squirrel, and you just t- you took off. I mean, immediately your mind went somewhere else, right? You are, you are distracted like that, right? Many of us are easily distracted. In fact, let's just talk for a minute. What are some distractions that come along our way that, that derail us in life sometimes? What are some distractions that come along? Just shout them out. Did you say a beeper? Oh, okay, beeper on the phone. Okay, I'm with you on that one, because if you said beeper, you just dated yourself way bad right there, right? <laughs> Way back. A beeper on the phone. So phone. A ding on the phone, right? What else are other distractions that come our way? Come on. What are they? What? Sports. Ooh, yeah, that's a hot topic. Yes, you're right. What else? TV, right? Maybe you're that person who's getting ready for a presentation at work, and all of a sudden you're deep in the presentation, you're deep in the study, you're deep in to figure out what you want to articulate, and all of a sudden you have this thought that crosses your mind. I wonder what's going on on Facebook right now. Right? And you get on Facebook and social media, or you, or you tweet because you do Twitter, or you do Instagram, and if you don't know what those things are, God bless you. And so anyway, you do those social media things. Or maybe you're that person, that student, maybe you're a student, and you're preparing for a test. I used to be bad about this. Preparing for a test, and you're studying, and you're studying, and you're studying, and all of a sudden, a random thought just comes to your mind. And the next thing you know, an hour later, you've just been daydreaming for an hour, right? You are so far removed from where you need to be, right? Now listen, we all get distracted, don't we? In fact, in 1997, in 1997, somebody came up with something to help those who struggle with distractions. But it didn't take off at all till the end of 2016 and 2017. Something that was invented and created for those people that struggle with easily getting distracted to help them stay focused. Does anybody know, except my wife and son, because I already told them, does anybody know what that thing was created was? Anybody know? What, who said it? Raise your hand. What is it? Fidget spinner, that's right. Everybody know what a fidget spinner is? Okay, it's, it looks like a triangle thing, and you just spin it. And just, woo, woo, I mean, it's over. And, I mean, it'll drive you crazy, honestly. And you may say, well, that's a stupid thing they invented to remove distractions. Well, let me just say how stupid it was. In two and a half years, they profited $500 million on a fidget spinner. Don't you wish you'd have thought that one, right? But the point is this, that they felt so moved in kids in school, being so easily distracted, what is something we can put in their hands that keeps them focused? Now, here's why this is all important, right? It's today's not about fidget spinners. Here's what today's about. We live in a world as believers that we spiritually can be distracted. See, what I want you to know this morning is this, is that the purpose God has for us to be salt and light and the mission we have to go make disciples, that trumps everything. That trumps everything. And in life, we're going to have things, whether the enemy brings it our way or things that just happen in this life that are going to try to distract us from the purpose and the mission that God has for us. And we got to be able to look at, okay, how, how do I recognize distractions and how do I stay focused 
in the face of these distractions. So today we're going to look at Nehemiah, and there's three distractions that Nehemiah faced, and I want us to look at how he responded to those distractions. If you have your Bibles, Nehemiah chapter 6 is where we're going to be this morning. Nehemiah chapter 6. Now I know some of you who've been tracking along with me, like last week, are going to go, Doug, are we skipping Nehemiah chapter 5? And the answer is, Yes, we are skipping chapter 5, right? Now, you can go back and read it. Chapter 5 is awesome. Here's the, here's the, the whole essence of chapter 5. Remember last week when we talked about uh, Israel had internal opposition? Well, you see it shaped in a different way in chapter 5. In chapter 5, it's not about the rubble going on. It's about the poverty that's going on, the oppression of those in their midst where it's a money issue. And some are the haves and some are the have-nots. And the haves are making the have-nots work for it, and they're charging these crazy amounts of taxes. And so Nehemiah comes on the scene and says, listen, guys, this is a problem. We have an internal struggle here, and we need to fix it. Now, you know what Nehemiah says, how to fix money issues? issues, be generous. Be generous. The way to fix the money issues Israel is going through is being generous. And so that's chapter five. You can go back and read that. But in chapter six, we see three major distractions that Nehemiah was faced with. And here's the first one. Chapter six, verses one through four, it says this. Now when Sanbalt and, the, and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and there was no breach left in it, Although up at the time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sanbalt and Geshem sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together at, you can say it better than I can, Hapakurim, in the plain of Ono. But they intended to, me, to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. Why should the work stop while I leave and come down to you? Verse 4, and they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner each time. Now, here's the first distraction that Nehemiah faced. It was a distraction of opportunities. Opportunities. In particular, one opportunity. Sanbalt and Tobiah sent him what would appear on the surface as a really good opportunity. Remember, they were the enemies. And if you remember in chapter 4, how was Nehemiah's people building the wall? Half were building and half were at arms, right? Half were watching. Half were building, half were watching. And so when these guys come together, they say, hey, listen, Nehemiah, let's get together. Let's have a meeting. So on the surface, this looks like maybe a good opportunity to end the fighting, right? Now, Nehemiah picks up, and you picked up on the passage, Nehemiah knows that these guys only have one agenda. And what was that agenda? To do him harm, Right? He knew that he had, they had an agenda to do him harm. So maybe Nehemiah thought, well, they think if they can lure me away from building the wall, they can somehow get me by myself, and then they can take me out, right? I'm sure that's what Nehemiah must have thought. But to the onlooker, hearing that Nehemiah has been offered not once, not twice, not three times, but on four different occasions, Nehemiah is offered to sit down with these other kings and to talk. From the outside looking in, that looks like a good opportunity, doesn't it? A good opportunity to figure out maybe, maybe we can come to a truce, right? Maybe we can make peace. Maybe we can figure out a way to have a normal relationship between your people and our people. Maybe we can come to the place that we can figure out how to stop fighting and move forward. So from the outside looking in, that looks like a good opportunity. You believe that? Say amen. You're with me on that. It looks like a good opportunity. Now, here's the thing. You and I face good opportunities all the time, Right? Some of you have good opportunities like this. Maybe, maybe you're cl you climb the corporate ladder. 
I mean, you've been working hard and working hard and working hard, and you're trying to climb the ladder, and you get a promotion. Or maybe you're trying to look at what you're going to do with your life, and a job opportunity comes along that you never expected. And so that seems like, from the outside looking in, like a really good opportunity. Maybe there's something in your life where you're like, man, if I could just spend some time developing these skill sets in my life, I feel like I would be better equipped to do the things that maybe I need to be doing. And so maybe one of those opportunities comes along to develop those skill sets. Or maybe, you know, for me, when I was a younger, when my boys were younger, it was the extracurricular things in life. I love extracurricular. And if you don't know me, I'm that guy when I, as a parent, I was the all-in guy. So like when James, my oldest, he, he loved rescue heroes. Anybody remember what rescue heroes were? They were like G.I. Joe, but they were actually like first responders. They were firemen and medics. And all that. Well, James would make out a list for us for his birthday or for Christmas. And he goes, man, I want this rescue hero and that rescue hero. Well, listen, that's not how Doug operated. Here's the way Doug operated. I found out every rescue hero they would make that year, and I got all the rescue heroes. It wasn't about one rescue hero. It was like, buddy, if you want rescue heroes, we are going to have some rescue heroes. And that's just the way I want. I'm an all-in guy. So when extracurricular sports came along, I was like, man, I want you to experience that. But here's what I want you to follow me for a minute. Those all from the outside seem like good opportunities, don't they? Climbing the corporate ladder. Getting a job that you to kind of shape the direction of your life. Maybe developing some skills in your life. Maybe extracurricular for kids. Those seem like good opportunities, but here's where we have to be cautious. And I want you to hear me on this. When good opportunities trump godly priorities, they become dangerous distractions. Are you with me on that one? Now, we have that quote up. I'm going to put it on the screen here because I want you to write it down. All right? When good opportunities trump or take precedent over God-given priorities, it becomes a dangerous distraction. It does. So think about Nehemiah. Nehemiah, what was Nehemiah called to do? Build the wall. What do these men want Nehemiah to do? Have a meeting. So what they were asking is, here's a really good opportunity, Nehemiah, for us to maybe come to a truce, wink, wink, kind of a deal, and maybe not fight and all that kind of stuff. But if he would have done that, he would have let that good opportunity trump and take precedent over God's priority, which was to build the wall. And so if he had given in to that good opportunity, so to speak, it would have become a distraction in his life. Now, I want you to hear me on this this morning. You look at this, and just look at this quote, and I hope this is something that kind of ingrains in your mind, is that when we let the good opportunities take precedent or trump God-given responsibilities and priorities, it becomes a dangerous distraction. So your question might be this, well, what are God-given priorities, right? What are some of the God-given priorities that we have as a follower of Jesus Christ? I want to give you five. That's not going to be on the screen. And to make it easier for you and for me, I alliterated them, which is not my sweet spot, but I alliterated them to make it easier. Here's the first God-given priority as a believer we all have. Number one, gather. We are called as believers to not to forsake the assembling together of the body of Christ, right? We are called to gather together. There's something that happens when we are in a room together, worshiping the king together, that doesn't happen when you're watching on your TV screen. It doesn't happen when you're watching on your computer screen. There's something that happens supernaturally when we're together that you don't get when you're listening to it in the car on your way to work. We are called to gather together. And we can't forsake that. That is a God-given priority. Now, I know some of you are like, well, he's fussing at me. Oh, he's fussing at me. He's fussing at me because I like taking an family case. No, I'm not saying any of that stuff. You get what I'm saying. You know what, Barna, a statistic came out a couple years ago, said this, that back in the early 80s, people viewed a commitment to church membership or to be in a church, they viewed that three, or three times a month was committed. Do you know what that number is today? Less than one. I'm bought in. I show up once every six weeks, but I'm bought in. Was that really bought in? 
What would your job look like if you showed up once every six weeks? You would have a job, right? And my point is just this, that one of the godly God priorities for our lives is to gather together. Let me give you a second one, to grow. We are called to grow spiritually. Now, some of your growth happens on your own. When you read your Bible and you study and you pray, that growth is organic. I mean, it just happens because of your love and your thirst for the Lord. But we are called to grow together. Whether you believe this or not, you are built for community. Going all the way back to Genesis, every single one of us were built for community. Whether you like it or not, you need me. And I need you. And you need people around you. You do, right? You need each other. That's why small groups are so important. I know some of you look at small groups going, well, you know, I can't get up at 9 o'clock. Well, that's just lame. Can I say that? I am fussing. That's just lame. You can get up at any other time to do anything else. That's just lame. I mean, small groups is the window. And I love our small groups. Because they're just not regurgitating, uh, just regurgitating a lesson. They're not just all social events. They are people coming together that open God's word, that do life together, and they are building community. We are called to grow. Let me give you a third one. Third, third G is gather, grow, gifts. We are called to use the gifts that God has given us to build up the body of Christ. We are called to use those gifts. So it's our responsibility to find those gifts, what are they, and to use them for the kingdom of God. Let me give you fourth G. Gifts and then give. You, th- you knew I was going to hit that one, right? Give, right? Now, the reason giving is so important as a believer, one of the reason priorities for God is because when we give, we're saying, Lord, I acknowledge I am not an owner of anything. I'm a manager and a steward of what you've entrusted me with, right? That's what we're saying. So when we give, we're saying, Lord, I refuse to let money be a master in my life. I'm going to steward what I have. I'm not an owner. I'm just going to manage what you've trusted me with. So one of the priorities of God for his people is to give. Let me give you the last one. Go. Jesus said it best in Matthew 28. Go make disciples, teaching them baptize them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, here's my point. Is there other priorities in Scripture? Absolutely. But these are five, would you agree, crucial priorities that we see in Scripture, that we are to gather together, that we are to grow together, that we are to use our gifts, that we are to give, and that we are to go. Now, here's my point. Let's go back to the quote of again, Thomas. Here's my point. When a potentially good opportunities arise that detract from the priorities that God has for us or take away from the priorities that God has for us, they are distractions. And we need to call them for what they are. Are you with me on that, church? Are you with me? Because when we have these godly priorities, those things I just listed, and when we have opportunities that try to draw us away, let's say you're going to get a job promotion. man. Everybody wants a job promotion, right? But here's the problem. You're going to travel every weekend in perpetuity from now on. You're going to go from now on. Well, what's that taking away you from, from you? Unless you can find a church that meets other times. That takes away gathering, right? Takes it away. It takes away, maybe in a large part, the whole growing part, because you can't be in a small group. So whether, whether the money is uh, attractive or not, you've got to back up and go, is this trumping my God-given priorities, which will now become a distraction in my life? See, here's the whole point. Nehemiah was building a wall. And a distraction of opportunity came, and Nehemiah refused to let that distraction stop him. Because here's what happens. When these distractions come into our lives, when good opportunities trump godly priorities, here's what happens. We begin to lose focus on what matters the most. You ever, anybody would want to be honest enough to say that you got so focused on your work that one day you woke up and God reminded you that you were neglecting your family? Remember how that story 
a good opportunity. Make more for your family. Do more for your family. Broke a God-given priority, which is your family, and that became a distraction in your life. And so Nehemiah, I mean, he, he, he dealt with this, but look at how Nehemiah responded. Look at me in verse 3. Go back to that. Here's how Nehemiah stayed focused with this distraction. Verse 3 says, And I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave and come down to you? Here's what Nehemiah said. Listen, I, I'm doing a good work. I'm not coming down. See, Nehemiah, listen, Nehemiah was consumed with the mission. He was consumed with the fact that God wanted him to build the wall. That's what consumed his life. Nehemiah knew that he was doing the work that God had called him to. And he didn't have time for distractions. In fact, four times he sent the same message back going, I'm not coming off the wall. I'm not coming off the wall. Listen, I'm not coming off this daggum wall. No, I'm not coming off. I'm doing the work of the Lord. How did Nehemiah stay focused? Well, he stayed focused on the mission that God had called him to. I had a pastor friend say it this way. Nehemiah understood something that we need to understand that sometimes good opportunities don't equal God opportunities. Did you hear that? Sometimes good opportunities don't equal God opportunities. And we need to know that. And Nehemiah understood that. So that's the first distraction. Let me give you the second distraction he faced. It's found in verse 5 through 7. Look at me in verse 5 through 7. It says this, In the same way, Sanibalt, before the fifth time, sent his servant to me and with an open letter. Underline that in your Bible. That's going to come back to open letter in his hand. And it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you're rebuilding the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. This is a king in Judah and now the king will hear these reports. So now come, let us take counsel together. So here was the second distraction. It wasn't opportunities now. Now it was false claims. So what did Sanibalt do? He had this false claim that, listen, you're only rebuilding the wall so you can become king. You're only rebuilding the wall so you can rebel against the Persian Empire and you can be in charge. Now when you think about that just for a moment here, after four failed attempts... He comes back with a fifth attempt, and this attempt is a threat. Don't mistake it. The first four were like, hey, let's just come sit down. Let's have a conversation. And Nehemiah knew where that was going. But this time it's a threat. He sent Nehemiah an open letter. Quick question. Did kings ever send open letters? What did they do to their letters? They sealed them, right, with a signet ring. They signed them and they sealed them. And the only person that would have read the letter was the one that it was addressed to. So by the king sending an open letter, here's what he's doing. He knows that every hand that touches this letter is going to open it up and they're going to read it. What a better way to start a rumor mill going than sending an open letter to Nehemiah that passes through many hands so that people open this letter and they say, oh, Nehemiah, he's trying to create a revolution. I mean, Nehemiah's trying to rebel. Nehemiah wants to be king. Oh my gosh, what is Nehemiah doing? You see what's going on here, right? It's a threat. Now, I know what you and I say. Hey, listen. We would say, listen, that's not the truth. Well, here's something we've all painfully learned. Truth is not reality. Perception is reality, right? Are you with me on that? And the perception was Nehemiah is building a wall to become king so he can rebel. Now, if there's ever anything that could be a distraction, do you think this could have been a distraction for Nehemiah? Listen, you're making false claims against me. It's not just an opportunity you're inviting me to and I'm building a wall. No, no, you're, you're talking about my character now. 
Now you're attacking my integrity. If I had all these different distractions he faced, this is the one for me that I'm looking at going, if there's anything that would have thrown him off course, it would have been this one, right? Have you ever had anybody say something false against you? Was that, did that go well? Now, when someone says something against you they shouldn't, what is your first response? What do you want to do? And I'm not talking about punching them in the throat. That's always our response. But what do you want to do? You want to defend. You want to defend. In fact, I'll just be real honest. When we, when we planted a church in 2010, I was in my own hometown. I stepped away from my own home church with the permission and the blessing of the pastor of that church to, to plant a church that was going to reach people that they weren't reaching. And the rumor mill began because there wasn't an articulated statement of that with our blessing, they're going to do something that we're not doing and reach people we can't reach. Because listen, I lived in a town of like 25,000 people, and there was like 54 churches in that community. And most of them were dying, dead, or closed up. And so the rumor mill began to start about why we planned the church and how we had to split the church. Now, everything in me wanted to get on social media, and we even had something called Topics. Topics was a, a bogus website that people get on, and they could anonymously talk trash about anybody they wanted to. And so you could literally Google your name, and I did, Google your name on that topic and find exactly what everybody's saying about you. So I found a lot of stuff about what they're saying about me. And everything in me wanted to defend myself. Everything in me wanted to go out and go, man, you are so wrong. And so I called one of my best friends. His name is Randy. He's a pastor in Texas. Randy, what do I do? And he said something so simple, because he's pretty simple, but so profound. He said, listen, Doug, whatever you feed grows. Whatever you starve, dies. And I go, well, that's pretty good, Randy. So in that moment, I realized I need to starve what was being said and give it no try. Eventually, it died out. And so here's Nehemiah, and he's all these false claims against him, and you've probably had it happen to you. And see, listen, when we get distracted with these false claims, it causes us to lose focus on the mission. But listen to how Nehemiah responds. Go, go with me here to his response in verse 8 and 9. In verse 8 and 9, it says this. Then I said to him, no such things as you say have been done, for you inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop by, from the work, and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. So here's Nehemiah's response. Listen, I just know that God is in control. Who did he lean on in that time? Did he lean on his own defense of himself? He, I mean, he called the guy and said, listen, you've lied. You just made all of this stuff up. But how did Nehemiah end that? He said, God, strengthen my hands. In other words, God, despite what's ever being said about me, would you give me the strength to keep doing what you've called me to do? Nehemiah just depended on the Lord. Now, listen, listen this is a big deal. Because if word got back to Artaxerxes, who was the king of Persia, do you think he would have been mad that Nehemiah supposedly was rebuilding the walls only to build an army, only to fight against him, only to rebel? It could have cost Nehemiah his life. And so Nehemiah just says, listen, with all that you've said, here's what I'm going to say. What you're saying is wrong, but God, would you give me the strength to continue on? In other words, God, with this distraction coming to my life, would you give me the focus I need to continue to do the work that you've called me to do? And that's how he dealt. That's how he stayed focused through this distraction. Let me give you one more distraction as we close. And it was this in verse 10 through 13. Look there with me if you would. Verse 10 through 13. It says this. Now, when I went into the house of Shammai, the son of Deliah, son of Metabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. 
Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming, Nehemiah, to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, I should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had been pronounced a prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired that I should be, here it is, I should be afraid and act in this way and sin and so that they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Here's the third distraction, fear. We have opportunities, we had false claims, and now we have the distraction of fear. Now, what was the thing they tried to ingrain in Nehemiah? They're going to kill you, bro, <laughs> right? They're going to kill you. Now, here's what's interesting. A guy named Shemaiah comes along. Many scholars would tell you that he was probably a priest in the temple. And here's what Shemaiah does. Shemaiah says, listen, Nehemiah, they're coming to kill you, so here's what we want to do. Let's go into the temple, let's hide out, let's close the doors, and let's just wait it out there, right? Now, what we find out in the passage is Shemaiah was not a messenger from God, but Sanbalt and Tobiah had paid him off. They paid him off and said, listen, we need you to get Nehemiah to go hide into the temple. Now, why would that have mattered? Well, first of all, if Nehemiah runs and hides in the temple, he would have lost all credibility, right? Are you with me on that? He would have lost all credibility because he's the guy that stood up with his people saying, God is going to fight for us. God is with us. We don't have to worry about our enemies. God is with us. And so now if he's hiding in the temple, that would have destroyed all his credibility, and second of all, if he went hide in the temple, he would have broken God's law. Nehemiah was not a priest. And where he was supposed to go hide out was obviously a sacred place where only the priests were allowed to go. And so he would have broken the law of God because he wasn't a priest. He was a lay person. And so how did Nehemiah respond to this trying to invade him with fear, trying to get him to do what he should not do? Look with me in verse 11. Look at his response again. He said this, but I said, should such a man as I run away, and what man as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. Listen, Nehemiah stood firm behind the mission that God had given him. Now, here's what Nehemiah did. You ready? He refused to let fear drive him. He refused to let fear paralyze him. He refused to let fear lead him down a path of compromise. He refused to be driven by fear. See, the third distraction he was faced with is fear. If he's scared enough that his life is going to be taken from him, surely he'll get off the wall, surely he'll take refuge, and surely he'll go hide out. And Nehemiah said, am I doing it? I'm going to stand confident behind the mission that my God has given me. I'm going to stay put. Now, I'm just telling you, when you read the book of Nehemiah, this, bro this dude was courageous, wasn't he? I mean, this guy was like, I mean, he was like faithful to the Lord. So when we look at the passage, here's what I want you to get this morning. When you look at the passage, you see three distractions he faced. The one of what appeared to be a good opportunity. You saw one of false claims against him. We saw fear. And we also saw how he stayed focused through these distractions. He stayed focused by being consumed with the mission God had given him. He stayed focused by depending on on the Lord, knowing that he's in control. And he stayed focused by standing firm that God's mission was God's mission, and he wasn't going to derail from that. That's how he did. Now listen, as a result, here's what happened. The climax of the story, verse 15. Sold the wall. Everybody say, sold the wall. Come on, sold the wall. Say it, sold the wall. So the wall was what? Finished. 
on the 25th day of the month of Elul in the 52 days. 52 days the wall was built. Well, you're like, well, Doug, that's not a big deal. That's like less than two months. What kind of wall are we talking about? Let me tell you what we're talking about. We're talking about a wall that was three, almost three miles long and around. It was around three miles around. It was at least 40 feet tall, and it was eight feet thick. Are you with me on this one? 52 days. A guy that faced one distraction after the next distraction. Hey, Ron, could we do that? Could we build a three-mile wall with everybody in the room working on a three-mile wall, 40 feet tall, eight feet thick? Could we do that? John, could we do that? You're too optimistic. Okay, so no, no, nobody, nobody is doing that. Now, how did it happen? The people of God stayed faithful to God, and God blessed them, right? And so when all these distractions came, he continued to stay focused, and in the end result, the wall was finished. That's just awesome. I love that story. Now, here's what I want us to know this morning. All of us as followers of Jesus Christ, if we truly are committed to living the purpose he's given us as salt and light, if we're truly committed to the mission to go make disciples and pour our lives into other people, if we truly do that, we will face distractions in this world. Some of those distractions will take the shape as like a good opportunity. That's only the good opportunity. All it wants to do is to take us away from the calling that God has for us, the purpose. Or maybe for some of us, it will be false claims. Somebody will say something against you to try to derail you from the mission God has for you. For others of us, it will be fear, the fear of rejection, the fear of what will people think, the fear of, I don't think I can do this, I'm not good enough, I'm not equipped enough. The fear will set in to try to derail us from the purpose that God has for us. We will face those kind of distractions. Now, for some of you in the room, you're like a Nehemiah. When distractions come, you stay faithful. You stay focused. But for the rest of us in the room, like me, sometimes I don't. Sometimes when distractions come my way and they come your way, we look at our lives and go, you know what, I'm struggling living a life of purpose, and a life of mission. I've lost my focus, right? Can you resonate with that this morning? And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do this morning. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, here's the commitment I'm asking you to make. First of all, I'm asking you, would you call out the distractions in your life? Would you take a hard look at your life right now, the things going on in your life, and go, you know what? This appeared to be a good opportunity, but here's what I discovered. It's trumping the godly priorities of my life. That's a distraction, Number one, would you just call them out? Whatever, thing, whatever they are, what are those distractions? Call them out. And second of all, would you commit to refocusing your life, your heart, and your mind on the purpose and the mission that God has for you? Would you refocus yourself? And then maybe somebody's here today, and you don't know Christ as your Savior. Let me just say this to you. The bulk of your life has been focused on you, what you want, what you think, what you think you need to do to somehow earn eternal life. But let me just ask you this. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, would you make a commitment today to change the focus of your life to the focus that really matters? And that focus is on the person and the work of Jesus, what he's done for you, that he died for you on the cross? And would you turn your focus away from your selfishness and turn it to the grace and the love of God that even though you're a sinner, even though you've rebelled, even though you've done things that break the heart of God, he loves you and his son died for you. And would you just receive that today? Say, Lord, I admit that I am a sinner. I believe with everything in me, Jesus died on the cross. And today, I'm going to confess him as Lord. I want to surrender my life to him today. And if you don't know him, would you refocus in that way? So however God's going to lead you this morning, would you just be faithful to respond. So right now, I'm going to ask you right now, everybody stand with me if you would. Everybody stand. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Let's stand together. And I'm just telling you, is that with every head bowed and every eye closed, 
I feel like so much as, as Christ followers that we need to be really committed daily to ask ourselves the hard question, what am I focused on? Are these good opportunities trumping the godly priorities and therefore becoming distractions? Are these false claims derailing me from the mission of purpose that I have? Is the fear that I feel, is it derailing me? And if that's you, if you're a believer and if that's you, today would you just call those distractions out? Would you say, Lord, this is a distraction in my life. Lord, I'm struggling with this. And then would you make a commitment to refocus your life, refocus your mind and your heart on the purpose and the mission that God has for you? And if you don't know Christ, would you just refocus your life by turning it over to him? So whatever you need to do, if you want to come pray in a moment, this altar is open. If you need to sit down and pray, whatever you need to do, would you be faithful to respond as the Lord leads you? Let's pray. God, I love you. I'm so challenged and I'm so convicted by the life of Nehemiah. Guys, honestly, Lord, as I look back on my life and even the last months of my life, I can see distraction after distraction after distraction that has derailed me or pivoted me or slowed me down or, or paused me from fulfilling the purpose and the mission that you called me to do. And Lord, I, I, I'm sorry for that. I repent of that, Lord. But God, today I pray as a church that we would stand and go, we're not going to let that happen to us anymore. We're going to stand firm on the mission you have for us. We're going to be consumed with the mission you have for us. We're not going to let good opportunities trump godly priorities in our life. We want to remove the distractions this morning, Lord. So would you expose those distractions in our lives? Would you help us take a really hard, intimate look at our heart this morning? And God, only as you can, would you reveal to us those distractions? And as you reveal them, may there be something in us that commits to a change, commits to refocusing our lives and removing those distractions. God, would you do that for us today? God, I know that's a painful process, but may we embrace it. May we ask for it. May we beg for it in our life. Because there's nothing in this life that ever should trump the purpose and the mission that you've given us. To be salt and light. To go share the greatest news that the world has ever heard about Jesus. Nothing trumps that. So God, as believers, we refocus this morning. And then I pray for maybe that person doesn't know you. Today, Lord, for the first time in their life, maybe they would take their focus off their own lives, their own desires, their own efforts, and they would put their focus on what Jesus has done for them on the cross of Calvary. And then maybe for the first time, they would just admit who they are as a sinner. They would put their faith in Jesus and confess him as Lord. God, as you move today, as you move in us and through us, may you give us the courage, may you give us the faith, may you give us the heart and desire to be faithful to respond to you. God, just be with us. Bless us in this time. For it's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen.